0: Welcome in to the Level Up Experience. This is episode number 51. I had a conversation with Thomas Ligadol, the Chief Strategy Officer at DreamHack, and Jonathan Singer, the Senior Manager of Global Games Industry at Akamai Technologies, and we discussed their report that they worked on called Esports Hacked, An Inside Look in Cybersecurity and Gaming. The report shows that more than half of gamers have been hacked in the past. 9 out of 10 gamers have come across hacked accounts being sold online and seven out of 10 agree that it must be stopped. I think it's an issue that gets put on the back burner a little bit compared to other mainstream news. So I really enjoyed jumping in the conversation with them. You can learn more and download the report at esportshacked.com, that's esportshacked.com. Before we jump into the episode, I wanna thank GG Locators for sponsoring the podcast. GG Locators is a contract staffing and executive search firm specialized in sourcing and placing top tier talent in gaming, esports, and extended reality industries. So whether you're searching for your next hire or the next step in your career, head over to gglocators.com to learn more. That's gglocators.com. I want to quickly thank everybody for the five-star rating and reviews that you've left for the podcast. If you're on mobile, scroll down and fill in those stars. If you're on desktop, do the same. Really appreciate taking about a minute to do that. Make sure to go subscribe to Level Experience on YouTube. We're going to share a job opportunity from GG Locators, then jump into the conversation with Thomas Lickadol and Jonathan Singer.
1: Hi, I'm Chase Walter with Gigi Locators, and today I want to talk to you guys about some opportunities that I'm currently working on. My team and I are partnered with uh, five plus game studios across four separate markets, those markets being Austin, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, and Seattle. We have 10 plus game design positions with a majority of those roles sitting at the senior level. Now, game design in general can be very specialized, so I want to talk to you guys about what we're really looking for. Uh, Current needs are anything from a senior technical designer, a senior system designer with combat systems focus, and the multiplayer interactions, um, level design, encounter design, um, as well as lead combat design. Now these studios are, are in particular looking for somebody to sit on site, but we do offer remote capability um, on a case-by-case basis. If you yourself or someone in your network would like more information about these roles and about the, uh, the relocation and the remote uh, capability, please feel free to reach out to Walter at gglocators.com or send your resume to info at gglocators.com.
0: Uh, we are discussing the topic of cybersecurity threats in esports and gaming. Uh, both Tomas and Jonathan played a major part in putting together a report called Esports Hacked An Inside Look at Cybersecurity and Gaming. Guys, thank you very much for being here. Thanks so much for having us.
2: Thanks. Great to be
3: here.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate it. A couple things before we dive in. Um, if you're on LinkedIn or YouTube, feel free to post questions or comments throughout. We want to make this as conversational as possible. Uh, we think this is a really important topic to discuss so feel free to do that uh, when you post a comment we'll pull it up on stream and keep the conversation going so again thank you guys for being here really appreciate it to kick us off um, i'm gonna start with jonathan to give some background and we'll shift over to thomas
3: uh sure so my name is jonathan singer i work at akamai technologies uh, where i focus on the global games industry which means i get to talk about video games pretty much all day which is not a bad gig The reason why Akamai has an interest in the games industry is we work with the world's largest platforms and publishers to help deliver and secure games. Um, So we talk a lot about security. This is this esports report is the second major security report on the games industry we put out in the last couple months, and uh, so we're really excited to talk about it today.
2: Yeah, my name is uh, Thomas Vickydol. I've been with Remac for soon twelve years, Um, and uh, uh, yeah, joined uh, in a crazy time when Dreamac was five, six people um, and we started to transform Dreamac from just one event in Sweden to become one of the largest uh, eSport tournament organizers, but also expanding Dreamac from, from Sweden to to nine uh, markets or nine different countries. Uh, so pre-COVID we hosted uh, uh, 15 events yearly on an annual basis uh, obviously with uh, festivals in the u.s but also in many other countries like france germany spain india and so on Um, been with the company for a long time so started as uh, head of esports transformed into business development but also now lately working mostly with partnerships uh, both with game publishers with brands uh, with uh, media rights and various various stakeholders that actually support the eSport ecosystem and also Dreamac. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's that's my story in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, appreciate you sharing that. I, I want to start here, uh, and Tomas, we'll start with you. Um, you know, what's the kind of the ethos behind doing this type of report? Like, why put the the mission and the, the power behind this and the resources? Um, just kind of get your thoughts on this to start out.
2: Yeah, I I think as we've been growing as a company, obviously taking on uh, various challenges, it's been, you know, uh, new topics coming up all the time. Um, I mean, obviously, physical security became very important to us, especially a few years ago when we had not incidents at DreamHack events, but other gaming events uh, where, you know, taking care of um, all our attendees and visitors security in these large convention centers became very, very important. And we addressed that, I would say, very, very good. And I've been getting receiving a lot of good feedback from the community to taking that seriously. Um, but I think one point that stuck with us throughout almost a, the, the 20 years uh, or 25 years we've been hosting dream hack like obviously it comes with a name as well dream hack uh, so, some people actually believe that we're a hacking group we, we never was uh, more of an entertainment event uh, entertainment event um, i think people visitors people in facebook groups people always bring up um, these kind of issues related to uh, digital security and uh, uh, it can be their accounts. It can be the credit card information. It can be related to the games. And we felt, that as a company, taking care of our community and also listen to gamers um, a lot. We felt that we we had some, you know, anecdotal stories from, you know, Facebook groups and, and stuff like this. And we felt we we really needed to understand this better because if we can support or do do something, we need to understand the space. Or the, the question a little bit better, and uh, at the same time, just a few years ago, we teamed up with Akamai or Akamai Nordics uh, here in the Nordics to to do a lot of uh, activation around gaming and and the game industry. And uh, after a while, we we both parties actually agreed that we should should look into this. So we teamed up with them, um, and this report uh, was uh, kind of the result of the, that that discussion. Mm-hmm.
3: And John, yeah, no, yeah. I'll tag on to that, which is that um, you know, at Akamai, like coming coming from our perspective. First off, I'll be straight up. We're a vendor. We sell security solutions to games publishers, not to consumers. So you're not going to buy anything from Akamai. Um, but more than that, we're security evangelists and gamers. So if you look at our infosec team, it's like everyone's a gamer. Uh, and if you look at me, like I'm a gamer and our marketers in the Amia region are gamers, uh, you know, and so for us, it's like, oh, my God, we get to work with DreamHack, like, perfect, it's great, we're going to have fun um, and we're going to talk about security and we're going to talk about security, not just from a perspective of like selling services to publishers and platforms and the like. But we're gonna talk about stuff that we can't sell, which is security for the players themselves, because those are our people. Like That's, you know, that's who we play with on, on a daily basis. And, you know, it really sucks when you have a friend who's like, my account got hacked, you know? So, you know, we, we wanna, we really wanna help people. So we often talk about products, you know, which I'll certainly talk about today to help players that we don't sell at all. Um, so I, I wanted to be straight up like, hey, we sell security stuff, but that's really not what I'm here to talk about today. I'm, I'm here to talk about player security. Um, And the reason why, from our perspective, is that the games industry is one of the world's largest, completely unregulated financial markets. So that's not a way that you usually think about it. But players put an immense amount of value into their accounts. And it's not just like their credit card is hooked up to the account, though. That's that certainly is something that you want to look out for. Um, But they put their time in. They put their money in. And, you know, they're going to put thousands of hours into these accounts. They're going to collect skins and in-game items and all of that. And, you know, that's all valuable on multiple levels for them. And therefore, since it's valuable to them, it's valuable to the criminal uh, element, who has over the last few years become increasingly interested in how to make more and more money off of the global games industry as the games industry has grown to a $200, $200 billion global industry, right? Um, so there's just, there's a lot to talk about from a security perspective.
0: Yeah, I actually want to frame up a little bit from the, like some some data points to kind of give people some references, reference points, um, just to give them some perspective. Um, and again, just, just a quick thing, if you're just jumping on a live stream, we are taking questions and comments, feel free to jump in because we want to keep this conversational for sure. So feel free to do that. Uh, so here's some data points like from the survey. So uh, 1,253 people took the first part of the survey 369 took part in a more in-depth part of the survey. 81% play games once every day or more, 89% use multi-factor authentication, and then 22% compete in esports every year, and then 52% have been hacked at least once. So what what are when you look at those numbers initially, what stands out to you all? Like what's the first thing that pops out when you all saw that?
2: Uh, go ahead Jonathan okay, please okay. uh, no but I think some of the numbers are are quite not, not obvious but uh, mm. yeah, I mean the playing amount and so on, esports, 22%. I mean, that's kind of very similar to our DreamHack festivals where, you know, 25% compete in tournaments, but actually 80 to 90% watch esports or follow esports or watch esport tournaments. So that, that's quite natural. Uh, but the hacked amount, I mean, 52%, I mean, it stands out for me because I didn't really know what to expect expect actually uh, as I said earlier, I talked uh, I mean from stories from from people around me, uh, it's uh, it's very hard to kind of see the the full picture. Um, but that every second gamer have been hacked that's that's quite quite a lot actually. Um, I mean I, I hear friends, I hear people around me uh, that they you know had those problems, but it's very hard to to get the full picture without a, a report like this.
3: Yeah, so I think that number 50% is sort of the big one that I want to focus in on. And obviously yeah. for a part where it's like we surveyed a a lot of people. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. like that's a reasonably sized survey. And that all those people are serious gamers. Like they're they're in every day, they're in multiple times a day. Um, you know, so it's this didn't just go out to everyone, right? It went out to the yeah. dream World community. Um, you know, and, and that number is really high. Um and I think that you combine that with the number of people that Are security conscious, you know, um, they really, they, this is a very highly targeted segment of people, right? Because gamers have a hobby that they love that's super online and they spend money on it. And so it's just a magnet for an organized criminal element. Um, and so that's, that's the first thing I think of is like, we're not just saying this is a problem. 50% of these people, you know, have been hacked and more than that have, you know, seen hacking attempts. Like if you look at some of the quotes, um, you know, I've had multiple tries on email with people to try and get my steam account by mailing that they are steam support. And there's something wrong with my steam account. I get crafted emails that try to look like blizzard asking you to log in and update. Um, you know, as a streamer, I've not only had people fish me through my business email for social media, but there's also the endless profile comments on steam from bots that try to fish your account um you know luckily uh i had uh 2fa which saved most of my accounts right so you know we see we see a lot and sorry 2fa two factor authentication um mm-hmm. not to try to the de- acronym mm-hmm. yet to stop using jargon yeah. yeah okay so yeah no it's like it, the numbers are big like it's it's really a serious problem you know and um and you know if you dig into the comments you see exactly sort of what we see which is that there are three primary ways that Criminals attack the games industry, um, and that's through phishing. It's through credential stuffing, which I can talk about what that is, and it's through web application attacks. Um, the latter of that last part, you know, the everyday gamer can't do anything about. That's on the platforms. It's on the publishers to deal with. Um, you know, but but they're really attacking the most vulnerable players. And you know, you or I may see this email and be like, oh, that's that's obviously not from. This uh-huh. big publisher, they'd never send me an email like that, but they send them out all the time because they work, right? Um,
0: yeah, and um, I guess protecting your account real quick. So what are, what are ways that players can protect their accounts? We'll go from there.
3: Uh, sure. So um, the first thing is if you have the option to do multi-factor authentication, just do it, enable it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to give them more of my personal information. I don't want them to have my phone number. Uh, you actually, you do. I mean, and I know that like, then it's really on them to protect, right, there was a recent major data breach, right, it's on them to protect that stuff. But you are kind of, as a player, sadly, one of the first lines of defense is you need to recognize when you personally are being targeted. And the thing about what credential stuffing is, I mentioned it earlier, credential stuffing is essentially a password list attack. So a criminal will either hack to get a list of passwords and list of usernames, or they'll just buy them on the black market. Um, And they can do that on the dark web, they'll do it on Facebook, they'll do it like they can get them any number of places. Um, But they'll they'll take those lists and they'll use really simple programs to just like kind of brute force, do combinations of account name and password, account name and password, looking for something that will match. And if you have multi-factor authentication enabled, they're gonna run into a wall and they're gonna not be able to get into your account easily. And the thing about criminals is they wanna make a profit as quickly as possible. And so, yes, you're gonna be like, if you're, if you're really computer savvy, you can be like, oh, multi-factor authentication isn't perfect. That can be hacked. Yes, but that takes effort and they don't wanna do that. So yeah. they will just move on. So by enabling MFA, by enabling multi-factor or two-factor authentication, you're just kind of like removing yourself from the list of low-hanging fruit. They'll copy paste your name into another bucket to either sell to someone else or maybe to try to break into later if they have the time, but that's just like that's one of the easiest ways. So that's that's one big thing that you can do. And Tomas, do you want to cut in? Otherwise, I'm going to keep talking.
2: All right, go okay. ahead, go ahead. Okay. You're next okay.
3: All right. So then, um, um, the other thing is you should really learn to recognize a fish, uh, a phishing attempt. So phishing is, for those of you who don't know, it's spelled with a ph because security people like to do stuff like that. Um, what it is is when a you know you get an email saying it's from someone and it could look really really good but it's not really them and they're trying to you're they're trying to get you to you know send over your credit card information or send over your password or call this phone number that isn't actually customer support or something like that to to really um to hook you in and get your personal personally identified identifiable information so pii which i just wanted to spell out that acronym too um So you should learn to recognize a fish, and there are a bunch of different ways to do that, but the easiest way is to go to your publisher. A lot of the publishers do a really excellent job, like Blizzard does a great job, and Nintendo does a great job, and Microsoft does a great job of providing you with resources to keep yourself safe. And so you want to look and they'll say exactly how they're going to communicate with you. And that's what you want to look for. So anything that doesn't match that, um, and then from there, there's like, You can go down the rabbit hole of like, make sure you hover over a link and see what the link actually is because it might take you someplace else. You can learn how to recognize a proper URL from an improper URL, which is like, does that URL just look like it belongs to the publisher, but isn't actually the publisher. So there's like, you can go layers and layers down to make yourself more secure. But like the basic thing to do is know how a company will actually contact you and everything else ignore and um, and enable multi-factor authentication. Okay, I talked a lot, so I'll turn it back over.
2: Yeah, I also think one aspect is, I mean, looking bigger picture, how the game industry have transformed into free to play. We have seen, you know, in-game items and in-game possession of, you know, various things in these games have become a, a real value. Um, and what what we can see at our events, but also in, in different chat groups and uh, social media is that people are trading those accounts between each other. And that, that that's an issue, right? Because A, uh, that transaction is usually not monitored by anyone uh, and uh, you're either buying it or, you want something in exchange, and we have seen parents reaching out to us, for example, after an event where someone been tricked by someone uh, and uh, you know lost their account with, let's say, you know years of years of invested not only time but they have also you know their, all their in-game items and so on. And that's for gamer fifteen years old that that's real value for them, right? So, I think th- that's an aspect as well where where uh, gamers are. Uh, not really protected and, and uh, there's not solutions everywhere and i agree with jonathan here phishing attacks i mean who haven't gotten a message on steam or discord or whatever where people reach out and want to uh, you know um um tr- try to get so, so, into your uh, house a little bit uh, but i mean It's fairly easy to recognize it, in my opinion, but I think we need to talk more about it and also maybe for people younger age and so on, it's it's, uh, definitely harder to identify it. And they're getting smarter every time as well when they reach out to you.
0: Yeah, the points you guys already made, just touch on this real quick, is that this is a financial market. I think, John, you may have mentioned, I mean, it is absolutely a financial market. Once you frame it like that it may turn a light bulb on to something like, oh, like even if you're outside, if you're not a gamer, you're outside the space, like this is a whole new financial market, just like publicly traded companies. These are publicly traded accounts, essentially, in a sense, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of issues with that, right? in regulation. So it's just something to think about if you kind of look at the outside then. And,
2: and there's so many third party sites today. I mean, official or um, not official, uh, where you can, you know, trade these in-game items and, and different, uh, stuff that you have uh, ac- accomplished in game and that that's uh, it's really hard for a regular gamer to actually recognize what side can i use and not use and so on uh, so i think that's that's a real problem um, with that said as jonathan said as well i think game publishers are doing quite a lot to to help out on this end. And, and um it, i mean especially i think s- some games they have really you know required people to to uh, to uh, for example have uh uh, uh two-way authentic, uh, authentication on uh, on the account and stuff like this but i think more more help is needed
3: yeah and, and to be clear you know the the problem isn't necessarily the third-party markets oh. it's what they enable right yeah yeah um you know because you might want to like you know trade your items or something like that and, and and i think that in a lot of ways it's it's pretty cool that you can do that but the problem is what it enables is people to hack into your account, drop your stuff mid, you know, hack into your account, sign in, drop your stuff mid game, pick it up with someone else, launder it through the system and boom out through a third party market and it's gone. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's just one of the reasons why an account could be hacked. And, and, you know, there are other reasons like people will, will sell high level accounts to people who don't want to put in the time and effort and just want to play at a high level too. Right. So there, there are a lot of which I don't, I don't understand, but uh, as a gamer, but like um, maybe that's because I like Dark Souls and I like it things to be hard. Um, so uh, you know, but like I, I don't get why why you would do that. But certainly, it's it's a big enough market that there is an entire functioning criminal economy revolving around like hacked accounts, right? Yeah, and I want to get
0: to the criminal comment in just a second. Uh, one thing, too, like, you know, accounts will be hacked and then they'll go to the user and then say, hey, send me $400 in Bitcoin and we'll give it to you back. Like, there's a story, you know, going around about that. And there's just all different ways that they try to monetize once they've stolen the accounts and everything else. So um, uh, there's actually a question I want to grab real quick before we jump into that. Uh, if that's all right. Uh, Anders on LinkedIn. Thank you for the question, Anders. Appreciate it. Uh, could you provide an example of a cyber attack that happened in a tier one or tier two tournament.
3: Does anything that came to mind? So, no. Um, <laughs> I won't because I try not to talk publicly about people who have had big failures. Sure. Like, at least in a specific realm, mm-hmm. it's just like you'll read about it in the news. The journalists will write about it, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't really feel comfortable talking about other people's failures like that. Um, but you know, Tomas, maybe you, you can talk yeah. about a problem that's happened.
2: Yeah, it, it's not that recent, actually, because I think the last couple of years we have really learned how how to navigate uh, some of these issues. Um, but let's say five, six, uh, almost seven years ago, we we had a quite big uh, CSGO tournament that, yeah, we couldn't uh, actually <laughs> continue playing it. Uh, in front of, we, we had to delay it, I think, for one day because of... Uh, Attacks, Um, and I I don't really want to go into details either exactly, uh, but but it it was a real problem back then. I think we have uh, uh, learned a little bit how to mitigate it, and I think also these uh, criminals or people actually doing this. uh, I mean, they're shifting focus all the time, Uh, so um, it's. uh, it's it's still you know an issue uh, with tournaments and, and especially LAN events uh, for you know uh, but we I think we handle it quite well right now and uh, it, it, it's um, it's uh, it's definitely a threat to the industry um, especially uh, um, you know DDoS attacks and stuff like this it's it's been a it's been a, a, a challenge for the industry but I think yeah it, it's been better the last couple of years.
3: Yeah, John. Right. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I can step back and actually give a better answer than no, um, yeah. which is you know, without talking about a specific tournament, you know, when you're when you're running a tournament, there are a couple different sort of levels of se- like there are a lot of different levels of security that you need to look at. But right, uh, Tomas mentioned DDoS attacks, right? So that is. Is your stream going to be attacked and someone's going to try to take down the stream? Is someone going to try to attack the servers and take the servers offline? Right. So those are potential problems. And then you, you kind of make your way down from there to the player level to like, do they, you know, have they snuck in like an aim bot? Do they have a modded controller? Obviously at a yeah. at a tournament in person, it's really easy to figure out if someone has a modded controller. Um I, I would assume. But you know, like when when you get um when you get down there, there's just a lot of different layers of security, and that's why we as an organization often talk about a multi-layered security approach. So if I talk about that later, it's because, you know, it security starts like all the way at the top at the, you know, with the stream and keeping those yeah. up and running to keeping the servers up and running to keeping the players playing fairly. It's, it's incredibly complicated. And that's another reason why I don't want to call out anyone who gets hosed because it's really hard. Like, it, this is not easy. It's not. Yeah. So yeah.
2: Yeah, and on that topic, to, to, to continue on on um, on that topic, I, I think what we learned as well is that when we look at a certain area of security it helps us to also improve another area of security. So for example, a few years ago, not in our tournaments, but there was an issue actually with pro players in in Counter-Strike that were cheating. Um, And together with Valve and the other tournament organizers, we we found a better practice actually how to host these tournaments uh, all together, learn from each other, help each other, but also improve very simple security actually, which is not really related to you know, always digital stuff. It can be around uh, uh, the physical room, the, the network setup, the, the computers, uh, how players and teams should actually act around the tournament, and how our referees and judges and people, uh, tournament administrators taking care of it, act around the, 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 the tournaments. And that was really helpful because that also improved. Some other areas of security. So, I think this is uh, why it's so important what I brought up in the beginning. uh, uh, You know, why we also want to look into this area a little bit more uh, is that we want to understand it a little bit better uh, and also be able to help our visitors and attendees and uh, all the dream hackers out there that actually have this, you know, see this as a a big problem.
0: And then, real quick, I did want to touch base on the sophistication around the criminal, criminal economy, just real quick for a couple of minutes, Jonathan, if you want to take that and kind of frame that up for everybody that might not be as familiar with it.
3: Sure. So, um, the first thing to know about the criminal economy is that you already know how it works. You just don't know that, you know, um, so the criminal economy functions and mirrors the real world economy in a lot of ways. Um, the, you know, the difference is that reputation well no it's not really i mean reputation is a massive thing that criminals trade on uh the same way that a, a company would or a brand would um so if you know anything about how a modern tech company functions you also know how criminals work right so you know if you were to take you know a bot for example um that someone wants to program it's like you've got someone who will come up with the idea for the bot and they'll go out and they'll program it and then once they've got this functioning bot, they'll hand it off to a marketing person or a PR person. Uh, first, Actually, first they'll do QA. So they'll have people QA test the bot. So it's like they do design, they do implementation, they do QA testing. They actually have a, a full DevOps cycle and like an entire chain of different people that will work on different pieces of it. Um, and then they have marketing and PR people that will push it out and, then, and people who will sell it, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's really, the whole economy functions that way. Um, and then there's just a lot more overtly nefarious stuff that happens you know in the dark web or you know it, it a lot of it happens in the clear net the clear net is just a web that you or i would access every day it's that's sorry a security term but um, you know like people are going to be selling lists on facebook they'll be selling lists on twitter you can anywhere that you can show up like criminals are are able to do business right they're doing business on amazon they're in different ways like that's that's how they operate so the criminal economy just functions like the normal economy. Um, and they are very, very efficient at producing product, getting it out there, selling it. Um, and you know, I I'll use the the kind of example of like that surprises people is how fully operational they have, like a marketing and PR sort of arm. You know, if you look back at a major game release from the beginning of this year. Um, the the company in question has some partial Chinese ownership, and they decided to bake in kernel level security, and I'm sure you can guess who I'm talking about. Uh, needless to say, the um, the hacking the, the criminal community was very upset that they had made their their new shooter so hard to hack. And so they put out a full kind of press push. On all of the forums, saying that this company has installed a Chinese rootkit, right? So they're they're playing on racism. They're playing on, right? They're like Chinese rootkit is on your computer. They're going to take over your computer uh, and send all your information back to back to the Chinese government. And so this was the PR push that went out against a game that had actually baked in some security features, right? So they they have a fully functioning PR arm. And I'm I'm not here to debate whether kernel level security is good or bad for a game. Like they did what they did, um, but you know that that sort of level of sophistication that they can muster up uh, PR, uh, you know, around then, you know, uh, being able to do more hacking and and more nefarious uh, stuff is is pretty um, sadly impressive is how I'll put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one other data
0: point I wanted to shift to, I think it's really interesting. I really like to get feedback in the chat as well. So if you're on LinkedIn or YouTube, if you have a question or comment on this, I'd like to hear from you guys as well. Uh, But I wanna get your, your feedback on this, but it's, so what are you, one of the questions was, what are you most worried about losing if hacked? So 49% said credit card info makes sense. 48% says access to the account, to the game account. Um, if you're on the outside looking in, you probably would have thought those numbers would have been much wider. Like, all right, more people would probably be more concerned with their credit card than their, just their air quote game account. Right. But it's dead even, right? So that shows you the value that is placed on your game account and what that means to that that particular person. So uh, I'd like to get your thoughts in chat when you think about that. But did that number being so close, did it surprise you? Was it what you expected? Sorry, Tomas.
2: Yeah, it was surprising indeed. But I can also understand it because, I mean... <laughs> when i'm 35 years old and when i had my 30th birthday 20 of my friends went together and bought me an in-game skin uh in counter-strike and i would never buy it because it was too expensive just to buy a skin to your uh, csgo knife but I wouldn't lose, you know. If someone have access to my account, they can definitely steal it and, and take that skin away from me. So I can I can really see that people see that as a a real threat because sometimes I mean, especially here in in the Nordics, people mostly have debit cards, so you can't really. It's, it's sometimes very hard to actually extract money from the credit card information. You know, in the at least in the short term, and you get that money back, but those items can be gone and uh you know disappear and you can never get them back and sometimes it's very hard also with the game publisher to to get it back so um it's it's uh, i can definitely understand that but also just losing progress so losing what you have invested your time and your passion into maybe for five years ten years uh, i think that's that's one thing and the second part is identity i mean you own your nickname. <laughs> you own your identity online, and just having someone else uh, representing your identity is, like in the real world, right? You don't really want that. You don't want. You don't want anyone else to be Jonathan Singer. You you want to, <laughs> you want to represent yourself. And I think that's that's more of a uh, identity question that I think people get frustrated around uh, or feel afraid of losing.
3: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, you know, in the end you can't buy back your own time and yeah. your own accomplishments, right? Yeah. Like those are my accomplishments. I did that. Yeah. Right? You can't you can't buy that back. And I think that's you know, that's rightly the concern, especially for anyone who's, you know, had to change their credit card or or, you know, had their had their card stolen or something like that. It's a hassle, but the credit card companies have lots of money and insurance to cover those things, and it's like all right, cool, so got to go through the deal of getting a new credit card, fine. But like my you know, 300 hours worth of accomplishments that I put into this game, my 1200 hours of accomplishments I put into that game and the skins, that I like that's that's what really hurts if you're a gamer, so.
0: Yeah, and Rustin said, much easier to cancel a transaction than to recover an item from a publisher. Yeah. Yep. And it's the, yeah, it's the, we talk about this a lot in a number of other streams, but just your equity that you build up with that, with those accounts. And like you said, the time and the effort that you put into it, you don't want to lose that. And so that right there, that number right there, 49% credit card info, 48% for access to account. It's dead heat because in the end it's value. Like you're, you're, you know, you just, you don't want someone to take value from you, you know, obviously on the credit card side, but also obviously as your, your game account side. So it's something to keep in mind there. So, uh, any other questions, feel free to uh, jump in! We got a good crowd going, so um, I, I want to throw us out there. You know, I, we didn't talk initially about this. I'd love to get thoughts though, like from Chad and then from you guys too. Um, as far as like you know, blockchain technology and being a you know, it's something that's immutable. Like if I have a non fungible token, that's an in game asset that I own the NFT, it's in my digital wallet. You can't take. I have the private keys. Like where where does where do you all go with that? As far as obviously there has a, there's a ways to go with that technology, um, and it's you know it's <laughs> It's interesting because you know it's 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 the tug and pull with publishers and the technology because they own the items because you don't own your skins right in, in a sense right This publishers right you don't it's not in your digital wallet you don't own the private keys to that skin right but that's obviously where it's going I'll argue with anyone in ten years it's going to be on the blockchain like it's, you're going to own it in your digital wallet and I know I sound like a crazy person to some people because they're like oh that's that's way you know that's never going to happen what are your thoughts a little bit of a rant there but what do you guys think about that.
3: Do you want to go first or? Go ahead, Jonathan. All right. So I will begin with the disclaimer. I am not a blockchain expert.
0: No, no. And, I, I, and I'm saying I'm not either, you know, but I just feel like anyway.
3: But I, I think it is really worth talking about okay. because there are lots of folks in the games industry around the games industry from a VC perspective who are very interested in what blockchain, blockchain means for the games industry. Okay. And I think that. Whatever the industry comes up with, and it'll, pro, you know, be on a platform level or a publisher by publisher level, which always because it's it can be a very fragmented industry from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to build it from the ground up to really support their own individual use cases, um, unless you know someone particularly massive like an Epic gets there first to build something that that they can kind of spread out from an economic perspective to the rest of the industry. Um, you know, but I think we're a long way away from having like a unified gamer wallet or a un- you know unified gamer ID, even that sort of thing. Um, but blockchain looks like the technology that could get us there. It really depends a lot on on platform and publisher interest in making it work. So that's that's kind of the the really vague answer, vague answer slash non-answer that I'll give you.
0: But like no, you said, I, can, yeah, I think- can, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I think it's a good answer because it's actually not about the technology in my eyes. It's rather more political or, let's say, uh, a a competition between the game publishers that actually enable that solution a little bit. Um, But I think there's an interesting conversation. It's a little bit, maybe bigger picture, but I mean, down the road, maybe not in two years, three years, five years, but maybe in 10 years, I think... Esport players and streamers and influencers are definitely pushing the conversation around IP and and I would say who actually owns certain stuff in in gaming because I think accomplishments, what you you know let's say a amazing highlight by a player, uh, I think. That's, that's in the future ca- could be up for discussion IP-wise uh, longer down the road. Not, not today, but let's say, and, and that's where also uh, the gamer wallet or let's say your in-game items, the possession of those items and, and how you could uh, discuss ownership around them could be interesting. But it, right now, as Jonathan said, the game publishers are definitely in control and own uh, the IP of, of uh, all of this. It's very hard to actually challenge that.
3: Yeah, and I think from an IP perspective, we're getting into a really, we're, we we already have been in and are continuing to advance deeper into a very complicated IP situation around yes. games, especially as you look at, you know, progression towards this idea of a metaverse, right? And, and you know, regardless of what anyone thinks of that, um, you know, we're already seeing it with, you know the music industry around personal broadcasting, right? And it's like, okay, well, remember to mute your game while you're playing it for everyone because there's a music track that's gonna come up and your whole video is gonna get taken around, taken down or demonetized or whatever, right? And you're gonna have to, you know, and and you know what the rules are now and you decide to break them or not, but it's, it's a thorny area. And I think things are only gonna get more complicated as personal broadcasters build their own brands even bigger, you know, become, more of their own businesses, you know, we'll see how it matches up with like the music industry model, which isn't great for creators, right? And, and how maybe streamers want to do things differently and, and what sort of muscle they're able to put behind it. So it's, it's like a very complicated landscape looking forward that blockchain could be an underlying technology for, but I would urge people not to get hooked on what the technology is going to be and focus more on what the accepted business model is going to be and how people are actually going to play. And there's like there's like a Steve Jobs talk about this from you know, like that clip that floats around LinkedIn all the time of Steve Jobs shutting down this guy who's like, your technology sucks and blah, blah, blah. And Steve Jobs is like, yeah, but people are going to use it. Adoption. Yeah, Yeah. people are going to adopt it. Right. So, you know, when we talk about it's going to be blockchain, is it not going to be blockchain? I frankly don't care because what I want to know is where's the business going to go? What are people going to want to do? And publishers platforms will use whatever technology works for
0: that. 100%. Again, it's all about adoption. If no one uses it, it doesn't matter. You know, to me, you know, you look at it from a business perspective. So, it's just it's interesting to bring up because there's there's uh, a lot of um, observations and viewpoints out there on it, and and honestly, we no one knows no one knows the real answer. No one has any really, you know, concretely no one has any idea what it's going to look like in 5 or 10 years. We can kind of formulate and have, you know, opinions. So it is going to be interesting though, but I mean, like, like with NFTs, like they're already making in this super infancy, but like you can make a music track and make it an NFT that you own now and things like that. There's all like interesting, just interesting. If you haven't heard of all that stuff, just do research and learn about it. It's very fascinating, right? Especially from a creator standpoint, the more, you know, if you know that, that, that there's opportunities out there, then you as a creator, then you have those, you know, at your disposal. So anyway, that's just kind of my, you know, one side of that to kind of look at that. So, um, I, I did want to kind of also bring up one of the things that you kind of hear is the question of, you know, why are publishers not investing in higher security measures? So, you know, I, you know obviously it's kind of hard to put a number on, like, how much are they really investing in it? Um, you know, not going to go into exact details, but there was, you know, in October, there was a significant event uh, with a very popular title. A number of accounts were stolen uh, in a very, you know, the market cap of this company is 50 billion plus. Like, it's not that they're not trying. You mentioned earlier, it's just hard right? So I mean, I guess any thoughts around when you hear that, you know, someone says, well, they should be investing more in protecting our accounts. What do you think about that?
3: Uh, So I think if you think that the games industry is not investing in security, you are factually incorrect. Your opinion Mm -hmm. is wrong, is what I'm going to say. Because like, that's someone who takes some of that money. um, I know that they're spending a lot of money. I know that they're spending a lot of cycles. And some companies are vastly more sophisticated than others. But like, if you look at a company like, my company, oftentimes one of our biggest competitors when we're selling security is DIY, is is publishers and platforms building their own security systems, building their own DDoS protection, building their own bot management solutions, building their own like, you know, client reputation filters, like these people, like if you look at the big publishers and platforms, they know what they are doing. It is really hard because all they need to make is one mistake at one level of the many levels that someone can, can attack your company. It's really hard. Um, so could they be doing more? I mean, sure. We could always be doing more, but like, I, I sort of want to put that to rest that, that the, that the games industry does not take security seriously. They absolutely do. Again, it depends on, on the size of the company, how much, how many resources they can dedicate to security, um, how much, um, you know expertise they have in-house and how much outside expertise like us they can afford um, but they're they put a lot of money behind security and um and we'd obviously like them to spend more uh and uh and i'm happy to talk to them about it but um but i, I think that these publishers and platforms and studios absolutely take their security seriously like i mean if you even go back and look at what happened at the beginning of the pandemic um, to to studios and publishers that were trying to get a, a next gen now new gen console, you know to 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 use so that they could build their games like that was something that all that the all the new you know that Microsoft and Sony had to figure out like well you can't take that home that has to be locked down in your office in that room no one can go into that office too bad right and, and they they figured it out eventually clearly but like that was a big problem so you know they take security you know and that was going to delay. New games coming to their consoles, which is one of the big things that launches. You want to have you know new games available. So um, so they take it seriously. And I I I think I'll put it to rest there and, and let Thomas talk a little bit, but mm-hmm.
2: no, I, I don't really have those insights since I, I don't really discuss that type of security with game publishers. I mean, we definitely discuss physical security around our tournaments, we discuss. Uh, a lot of security related to what we actually do together with game publishers, but uh, in terms of what they are doing on their end, I trust Jonathan here, uh, actually, uh, you know, an expert in that field. Um, but At least for me as a regular gamer, I think I see a lot of outgoing messages and communication around security. I mean, it doesn't go a month at Steam or someone, a big platform goes out and kind of improves some security layer. So I think as a gamer, you can actually see from the outside that they are at least doing stuff. (laughs) And I can imagine that that's just the tip of the iceberg because the the outgoing communication is usually just very, very, as a very small portion of the, the the bigger security work that they do so i think for me i don't really know how much they spend on security but i can definitely see that they i can ag- agree with jonathan here that yeah i i can imagine that they are spending a lot of money
3: yeah and so let me just let me just tag on something else which is that one of the things that you know, anyone who makes games has to balance, so they have to balance security measures versus the player experience, right? And so they all know that the the more steps it takes you, a player to play a game, the less likely you are to play. And they have, they have statistics. So like, if you're looking at time to play, like how fast can you get from the main menu into the game and playing? That is a metric that every studio worth its salt is tracking right and so the more steps that they put even if it's security steps the less of it, the more of a chance that you as a player gets impatient and is like oh, i'm gonna go over here i'm gonna play this instead like i've got all these options um so every security decision is balanced against the player experience right and that's why you get something where some companies are very comfortable like doing a kernel level security and others are like mm, players aren't gonna like it we're just gonna we're just going to have more cheating in our game right? You know, and, and that's that's something that every company needs to decide for themselves. Um, and, and it's something that is very much paid attention to at high levels within all of these companies.
2: But it's also a synergy or an opportunity for the game publishers, the game publisher, because I think you can get a lot of good PR, but also the, your loyal customer base is usually very used, or they, they they really like if you as a game publisher are chasing down the cheaters. So, I mean, as a gamer in a competitive game, for example, you're usually very upset with, let's say, cheaters. And sometimes those security uh measurements that they take is also helping out let's say get less cheaters in the game and you can actually continue playing that game so i think there's some synergies there's as, there there as well and you can see both epic and steam and, and all the different uh, platforms they are using that sometimes to actually enforce new security measurements so I, I think a, a great example for me as an old counter strike player if you want to play prime matchmaking as it's called it's literally less cheaters in that you have to do the two-way authentication and even have your phone number there and stuff like this. And that that's just a one way to do it. And you can see others do that as well, like Epic and so on. So I, I think that's a smart approach.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And you know when it when it comes to dealing with cheaters, there's so many different ways that they can yeah. cheat. Right. Yeah. You know, are they cheating at the at the console level or at the PC level? Yeah. Are they cheating in the network? Are they do they have like you know, a low orbit ion cannon installed <laughs> you know, a DDoS program that they use where it's just like, oh, they put me in a match against these people, boom, DOS the server. I don't wanna play them, I'll lose. Yeah. So boom, like, and that's that's just a constant headaches for a, for a security team. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't wanna to get too into no. all the different methods in which people can cheat because I don't wanna be telling everyone how to do it. If you want to, I guess, Google it, but, um, you know, there's a YouTube problem for you. Uh, but um, yeah, I think that uh, I, I think that it's it's an issue again. I'll just go back to it um, that everyone has on their mind, and and one of the things that they can that the industry can do better and is trying to figure out how. Because we actually had a, a roundtable discussion with a bunch of customers uh, in the industry back in September, September October, um, and which we we talked about this uh, and dove really into into kind of criminal economics. Around the games industry, and one of the things that we talked about, and that all the, the the folks from the industry were saying, is like we really need to do a good job of getting through to parents and folks that aren't gamers but kind of hold the keys to the kingdom. And you know, how do we how do we communicate with them in addition to players? Like, you know, are our younger players going to ignore the security emails that we get? Like, how do we how do we talk to the parents? And so it's you know at every level. It is a thorny, difficult problem to tackle, and they know that they can do better, and they are trying to do better. Sorry, I What
0: were some of the answers that were given on that panel about how to communicate with parents? What were some of the thought concepts around that? So,
3: actually, that that wasn't a, that was happening in chat oh. while I was. talking. Oh, I see. Gotcha. And so the the people the people who were in the audience were actually talking about it on chat, and I, I tried mm-hmm. to raise some of those points, but. Um, you know, as far as communicating to parents, the folks that we had on the panel weren't really the best to, to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is something that it would be really interesting to hear from someone like a Blizzard about or some, you know, uh, or maybe, uh, you know, a Roblox, right? Like what are, what are they doing, um, you know, to talk to their parent community? Um, and you know, I'm sure that they have people who are, who are very focused on that, on that type of communication strategy.
2: And on that topic, I think this is something we discuss a lot from dreamax side, you know, obviously some of our events is really depending on parents' involvement, uh, especially our Swedish events where, you know, it's it's a lot of visitors under 18, I mean, from 15, 16, 17 years old, they're, they're usually both uh, the ticket is paid and they are uh, driven uh, by car by their parents and stuff, stuff like this. So I think for us, the parent question is also going to change a lot the coming 10 to 15 years because our generation sitting here in the, in this live stream, uh, we are kind of the, the first real gaming generation. And I think our kids are a little bit too small still. Uh, but when they grow up and become, let's say, 15, I think we will also see another type of parenting when it comes to, you know, gaming use of you know technology and stuff like this and uh, a, a bigger interest from us to to actually um be more involved there and understand what they're doing uh, hopefully in a in my opinion good way uh, but i think that would help out as well
3: yeah i mean it's it's tough because if you think about what games are now i mean you know epic says it they're like we're one of the biggest social networks in the world it's a social yep. network right yep. um you know and so managing your children and of course mine is is too small for this yet uh though he caught me showing my niece viva pinata the other day because that was a good choice for her and so he and he was like um you know so i've already got to look out for him um but you know it's it's like you know the conversations to have with your kids about when they're going out to a party and like you know what to look out for and like you know how to protect your drink and like you know you've gone through college you know how to how to have those discussions you but you as a parent of a gamer need to understand the dangers, even if you're not a gamer. Like if you yourself do not play games, I don't know if there's anyone like that watching the stream, but like you need to understand what the, what the dangers are. And even folks like us who are gamers, like, you know, I, for example, don't play a lot of multiplayer online games. I like single player experiences. So I'm gonna have to, when my son gets old enough or my niece, you know, in a few years, like I need to, own up and make sure that I really understand what's happening in those games, and really understand how to give her the right kind of advice of what's happening out there. Because I need to give her the same advice and him the same advice that I'd give them going to a party, that I'd give them going out to the mall with friends, or you know, driving around town. Like you know, those are the those are the advice that that I know how to give. Um, how do I give, and where do I go to get? You know, if I'm not going to myself spend a thousand hours in CS:GO. Like where do I go to get the the right information that my kid's gonna need and go and have a conversation? So there's like a lot of parental responsibility that goes into keeping your kids safe online and on games, right? And so you just as a parent need to be cognizant that there are like again layers and layers. I talk a lot about layers today, but there are layers and layers of dangers that your child will face. And video gaming is like a place where there's a lot of fun and there are a lot of dangers uh, to be, that you just need to know about to be safe.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, circling back to what the report and everything else we talked about is those are, you know, those accounts that the kids are building up, they're valuable and criminals don't care who they're taking it from. Let's just be honest. Right. Let's, I mean, let's throw it out there. Right. So that that's the risk involved. Right. So like the, the, the value they're going after. Um, and then also it's interesting too, like having, having two younger kids myself, and being a gamer growing up, like, I think hopefully, right. Like I have that language, like we kind of speak that same language because I grew up playing and so are they, and I'm already seeing it with, you know, and, and I always make this example like, you know, he's asking Pokemon questions and I already know. <laughs> I already know the answers is like gym one, gym two, right. Because I played, you know what I'm saying? So like, it's, I think that it's going to be a different, there's not going to be as much of a gap, I think in 15 years with our kids, because that's the culture we kind of grew up with. So anyway.
2: But I mean, just, just imagine if we had the same approach when it came to sp- regular sports uh, or music. So, my kid, let's say, he, he is going to guitar lessons, and I, I, also, I don't care where he's going or what instrument he plays. I'm more like he's into music. Or the same with sports. Uh, I mean, I want to know uh, what team are you playing with? I want to go there and follow him there, meet the trainer, meet the, the other kids. I mean, it's a little bit similar with with eSports and gaming where parents kind of stop, they're doing gaming, they're playing games. Like you need to understand kind of the details and, and, and educate yourself about what's going on. And I think especially sometimes you're you're creating a threat, especially around these bigger uh, online games like, uh, uh, yeah, Counter Strike and Fortnite and and so on. Wh- while there's still you know mobile games where you have chat functions and and uh, you know uh, very dangerous actually uh, wh- if you have the wrong person on the other end trying to create some kind of social bond to your kid, for example. So I think it's 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 very important to educate yourself about every game they play and and understand that you don't need to like it you don't need to play it yourself but you need to actually understand the details otherwise you shouldn't let your kid play that Um, but if you know if you uh, take take it the right way as i you know, as I actually think the next generation of parents will do, I, I think it's going to be also an easier conversation about, you know, limiting screen time or other kind of uh, stuff uh, that is hot topics uh, um, by parents today. So I and I think overall, just that conversation about screen time is is, is kind of blurring the picture about the, re- the real threat out there. So uh, I think, yeah. This is a conversation we could have uh, for another hour. Yeah, I know, right? And I'm looking at the clock because we're coming up on yeah. on the on the
0: end here. Uh, real quick, we had a couple a couple comments, couple questions. I want to grab these. Rustin says, "I like that approach from earlier. Rather than restrict access, educate to ensure they are making quality decisions." Uh, talking about your kids, I think it's really good. Um, and then, real quick, real quick question here um, from Peter: Are two FA methods less secure today?
3: It depends so like there are different kind of qualities of two-factor authentication right so if you do like sms based it's not as good as some of the other ways to do it mm-hmm. um but it also kind of doesn't matter i don't, like uh, at like a macro level um you know yes 2fa can be hacked mfa can be hacked the question is how hard of a target are you making yourself relative to everybody else right um, and so just, you know, if you are say a publisher or a studio and you're like, um, I've got the money and the time to implement SMS based 2FA. I know it's kind of the quote least secure, but it's better than nothing. Yes. It is 100 million percent better than nothing. Just do it. Like, just don't, don't let, well, some forms are less secure than others stop you from just and make you be like, well, I'm not going to do anything at all. Um, so, yes, technically, there are some forms of 2FA that are less secure than others, but all of them are better than not having it at all.
0: Um, it makes sense. Like you said earlier, you know, hackers are looking for the least access or the, the least, you know, it's, it's quick, quick turnarounds, right? So you have to just that one, even if it's a thinner air quote layer, it's important to have. So. um want to thank everybody in chat, on LinkedIn, YouTube. Thank you all for all the questions. We couldn't grab um, all the comments and everything throughout. Um, Really appreciate you guys being here and asking those questions. This will be replayed if you jumped in. Uh, This will be a podcast. It will be uploaded on YouTube as well. Um, So thank you all for jumping on and being a part of the conversation. Um, How can people get connected to you guys uh, on social? you want to start first.
2: I think Twitter is uh, the easiest easiest way for me. I'm... at Graycon. <laughs>
3: um Yeah, if you find me on LinkedIn, that's good. Uh, if you find me on Twitter, it's not super professional, I'll be honest. Uh, but it's J-A-Y-A-L Singer. Uh, so if you do that, you can find me. Uh, there's a lot of liberal uh, leading politics that get tweeted there uh, that I'm not going to talk about here. Uh, <laughs> video game stuff and some like role-playing stuff and all of my nerdy hobbies get expressed there, too. I occasionally talk about technology there. So...
0: Very cool. So that so sounds like an interesting follow. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find you there.
3: Uh, and then, so but make sure download uh,
0: the report. I've read the report. It was really awesome that you guys put this together because it really wasn't something out there tangibly that does this. Um, so make sure you do that. It's EsportsHack.com. Uh, check that out. Uh, someone was asking too. Uh, we're going to try to compile some of this, the conversation here. So we're gonna take clips of this, so make sure to follow my LinkedIn and we're gonna clip this out because someone said there's a ton of information that we went through that was really valuable. Uh, so thank you guys for jumping on, Tomas and Jonathan.